0: Sonder is the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. Welcome back. What's up? To the technically fifth episode, so there's a fourth that we have not released. It's, um, it's been two years in the making. Two years in the making. We are back. My name is Clay. I'm here with Jake. I'm Jake. And I'm here with Clay. And this is Let Me Ask You.
1: The podcast where we ask somewhat profound things. Well, uh, sometimes profound. As always, though, we don't claim to know anything. Oh, we're not experts.
0: Nothing. Literally nothing. Literally nothing. So when you take us to small claims court, we'll be there. We'll be be there, but, I mean, we'll just shake your head. Yeah, we'll be happy about it. Give you an autograph or something. I mean, any publicity at this point has been publicity. It's been two years. How do we feel about that? Well-rested. (laughs) Well-rested.
1: I are ready to get back on that metaphorical horse. Just how to take
0: a nap. So, in the beginning of this podcast, there was a definition, after two years, of being out of the podcasting hobby. Yeah, yeah A lot's happened. A lot has happened, and we figured a good place to start up would be to explore this feeling of saunter as it relates to the two of us, because we have been apart for two years. Yeah. Did some traveling, did some family stuff, and... We each lived completely separate, complex lives mm-hmm. without the other being aware of it.
1: But neither one of our experiences detracts from the other. No. It's just they're unique in their own way. Exactly. Good and bad things have happened to both of us, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and absolutely. We, we both found ways to cope with those things and, and move on with our lives. And here we are again.
0: So in true gentleman nature, I told Jake, he could go first. So uh, <laughs> I guess I'm ready for whatever you have. We're going to do three different sections of this little Sonder session. Mm -hmm. We're going to start with early life childhood stuff. We're going to move into relationships, friends and family. And finally, we'll round it out with career and future ambitions. So Jake. So Clay. Let me ask you. All right. Where did you grow up and how did that affect how you interact with the world? So
1: I was actually born in Tennessee, good old Memphis. And funny enough, I've never actually like visited memphis tennessee but i grew up for the most part in a small town called oregon that's in ohio the greatest state (laughs) Uh, i I don't know if like i mean i guess it could have like maybe influenced my life in one of the ways it's like small town living i guess because it wasn't a very big city it was like maybe a few thousand people which i guess is like sizable but it's not enough to be like a major city you know what i mean but but I, i don't i don't know i don't think that the geographical location had any sort of like impact on how i
0: grew up what about the culture
1: you know that's actually something that like i've struggled to identify with for a long time because i don't think that you really appreciate or truly identify like what culture that you were like surrounded with do you know what i mean because, like, obviously, like, you go visit somewhere and you can tell that their way of living is just completely different from your own. But it's kind of right. hard to, like, translate what they do into what you do. But, like, I mean, I can sit here and tell you that, like, Ohio has a ton of Polish influence. And, you know, we have our own thing going on really big on, like, Perch for some reason.
0: So it sounds <laughs> but- like it sounds like uh, in your unique situation, the culture of the area hasn't really permeated the culture of jake no i i wouldn't say that it's
1: like really part of my identity
0: they're mutually exclusive
1: yeah i mean Um, i would say that and like with most people that like friends and family were definitely probably a big part of who i became less so where i physically live
0: let's walk that back to your childhood what is the most predominant childhood story that lives in your head regularly
1: all right, so this is going to be, like, kind of a deep conversation. Well, yeah, I would yeah. hope so. I'm just saying that, like, it's it's, it's going to sure. be, like, heavy hitting. But um, I would say, first of all, that, like, my earliest memory, for some reason, I really remember um, my mom wearing this, like, I think it's like, a green dress, just something of the sort. I just remember my mom in a dress. And, like, as a baby, like, this is the most beautiful person in the world is your mom, you know? It's just, like, all you know. So I think that that's probably my earliest memory. I don't really know was or anything i don't know dude it was it was sort of a a roller coaster from day one i would say that my my actual earliest memories are probably um when i was taken from that situation removed from the lives of my parents and i was sort of like thrust into this um
0: yeah roller coaster of um, circumstance well i'm i'm not just gonna let you cold open with that what do you mean removed from the lives of your parents
1: so my, um, my dad, from all accounts, was a, a brilliant man. He was incredibly smart, educated, and he had a very talented man. And anything that he did, he was just incredibly good at. But, you know, he made decisions like everyone else. Like we all do. Um, and a lot of those decisions weren't really great ones. He fell into a life of drugs and alcohol. Um, it really impacted our family, clearly. Him and my mom ended up getting divorced, and he took my brother and I um, up north to where we had more family, which was Ohio. I mean, there's a a few bits and pieces. I remember at one point, I was staying with my grandma, who (laughs) who was not a nice lady. (laughs) Um, At one point, we stayed with a man that we referred to as our uncle, but from what I've heard, it was literally just some guy.
0: Just some dude. <laughs> it was some guy
1: that my dad was associated with, but we called him uncle. So um, I don't think I'll ever truly understand who that guy was, but I think that's what he was was just some guy. Um, and they put us with his sister, my aunt, but she already had two kids, so it was kind of hard, obviously taking on the burden of you know two more kids. Yeah, and she just couldn't do it. I don't blame her. I don't obviously, hold any yeah. animosity. Um, towards that um, certain aspect, but yeah, she couldn't do it, so um, CPS was then notified and involved of what was going on. I remember really, really vividly, my brother and I, would, we'd be in this, like, I don't want to say holding room, because that's so really bad, but it was just like this little Well, um, I mean,
0: what do you remember lobby.
1: It, it Just like a lobby, I guess, of just this really big empty, opaque building, we would wait for visitation for my dad and he would come sometimes and other times he didn't. I mean, there's a lot of times where, you know, it was the empty promise of dad's coming or mom's coming and it never sure. did. I mean, funny enough, I, where I grew up, like actually grew up, I was, when I tell you that like I grew up and I talk about my family and stuff, this is strictly, I was adopted. So let's just backtrack and say I was adopted, right? All this stuff happened before the age of seven. Basically, after the whole uh, CPS thing was involved, my brother and I were taken to foster care and we were thrown into the foster system. So we were pretty much in the hands of the, um, the government at that point. And it was really bad, like really, really bad. And we were there for four years. So I was there from, from three to seven. My four brother, years. four to eight. Yeah, man, nothing was good about any of that experience. When I tell you about my childhood or... My experience growing up, my family and stuff. It starts like after I got adopted at seven. So just a just
0: a preface. So the age is seven. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. Like good memory of that time.
1: They're spacey, but yeah, I do.
0: Yeah. What was it? What was that process like? I guess for people that may not know what the adoption process looks like.
1: I'm not really sure how exactly like people got word um, of like our existence for the lack of a better term. And if I might have to like call my parents or something, cause I might be wrong on this, but I think it's literally like a, a excuse me, a catalog of children, like flipping through, like, like you're shopping. It's really like, it's kind of grotesque.
0: It's kind of gruesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so you, um, you're flipping through like this catalog of, of children that are eligible um, for adoption. And so what it would be, someone would, Take interest to my brother and I because we, we were a package deal, right? Mm-hmm. It was him and I. Um, and so if they took interest to us, they would come to the residence and they would they would grab my brother and I. And who was they? So, like, um, pr- prospective parents pretty much. Okay. And the way that it was, um, it pretty much be like trial runs, like, we would live with them for like a week or two, and at the end of that brief time period, they would, um, CPS would come back and ask the parents, like, yes or no, do you want these kids?
0: How many times did
1: you do that? Uh, Dude, four or five times, probably. That's going to be hard. Yeah, so each time um, it would be no, that they didn't want us. And, uh, you know, I don't think at at that time, I I think it's understandable that, you know, I wasn't reflective on anything at that time. But, being an adult now, I think it's... um, it's really weird man
0: that's <laughs> like, really weird it's just yeah it's just really weird i hope that in the 20 years since this happened the process has gotten better but i couldn't speak to that
1: well well with, with like the foster care system yeah oh i doubt it they're always underfunded and shit I'm saying um and stuff a lot only because I'm not... I wouldn't say that I'm like uncomfortable talking about this stuff. I guess I'm just not used to talking about it. So it's like trying to put my thoughts together isn't the easiest thing when it comes to this topic. Feel free to ask whatever. I'm seriously an open book about it. It's just... It's going to take a little... For the audience, we're going to
0: do this with random people that aren't prepared for deep questions in a (laughs) podcast forum. And it's, it's going to be sometimes a struggle.
1: So we would end up going back to um foster care and i think looking back on it now we we probably created some pretty deep bonds with these you know would-be strangers and then for those two weeks you know like i i remember like sometimes we'd we'd call them mom and dad or whatever and that early yeah i it, it it was just like what is it vagabond is that the word like a like a little not like a freelancer but yeah, 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 I you know like what a vagabond wrong. is. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know what a vagabond was. I <laughs> knew the word, <laughs> I just didn't know if I had used it correctly. Yeah, all words, all are, words are made up, clay. I could say whatever. You could what. say whatever you want,
0: and <laughs> just say that's what it means.
1: So it was. It was kind of like that. I just, I just sort of identified with whatever situation I was thrust into. Um, my brother, I think, a little less so. I think my brother was a little more cognizant of what Whoa. was happening, and I, I guess, chose to sort of play dumb. I don't really know. I don't know if it was a subconscious thing or if it was of my own free will. Um, Either way, it it was what it was. And then we go back to our false appearance. But, yeah, it was like that for for about four years. And, um, you know, if you you sat down and talked to my parents, it's a really, really sad story about um, just their process in getting us. It was a lot of heartache and pain prior to ever even meeting us in person. They had talked about us for... I think like a couple of years. Oh. They just couldn't have children. Um they showed great interest in us and they called the agency multiple times that they wanted my brother and I specifically. Yeah. Um and sometimes uh they'd get baited a little bit and say, Yeah, like you can you can meet the kids or whatever, and then they would tell them never mind or um sometimes they would tell them that we weren't available anymore because we were now being um in that trial.
0: Yeah, in that trial by thing. parents.
1: Yeah. And at one point, my mom just gave up. She said, I don't want kids anymore. If I can't have the kids that I want, I don't want to have kids. It wasn't meant to be. And my mom's always been really religious. So she was a firm believer that what was happening was part of God's plan. The trade off for that, though, was that my dad was going to buy my mom a Hummer if they couldn't have kids. Oh. And
0: they ended up doing
1: both those. <laughs> so she got a Hummer and kids.
0: She got the Hummer and the kids. Yeah.
1: So that's kind of funny. I remember my my brother and I got put on like the local news station, and this was kind of like the breaking point for my mom. And so we were put on this local news station. The news reporter bought us ice cream, it did, and like looking back on this, this is so surreal that this was like this was my life. But I talked to this news reporter, and she just sat down, and like my job was to just be a cute kid eating ice cream, like literally. And that was she it. just yeah, and she just asked me like what I wanted to do when I grew up, and. What did you say? I said a police officer. I want to be a cop. Wow. <laughs> so I want to be a, wow. a, a cop when I was a kid. Um, I think it was a different time back then, too. I think that was, like, <laughs> something that, like...
0: Let it be known that it is the view of this podcast that cops are you.
1: <laughs>
0: Icky. Icky. Icky cops. Icky cops. So But, that- yeah,
1: it was... Like, if you can hindsight being 2020 that is asinine being put in that situation and like being broadcasted to yeah it feels the like you're fucking a, tri-state area like a show child yeah that's what it felt like and i mean now looking back on it that's what it feels like at the time it like
0: it was great you got ice cream
1: i don't even think i registered with it clay i don't think it, i don't think i saw it as anything i don't think i saw it as a good or bad thing it was just kind of my life it's like oh off to I'll have to do this off newscast, meet, yeah. I'll have to meet two more people that don't want us, or off to do this news thing to see if somebody else wants us. Or. So I think at that point, when my mom saw that we were on the news and she knew that everyone else, like the whole world, could see us, she gave up on us. Yeah, um,
0: I'm glad that she didn't. You know, yeah, of course. So, uh, so yeah, at what age? Did. At what age were you adopted? Seven, seven. And at this point, you knew your mom and dad. I'm just going to refer to them as your mom and dad. Like your adoptive parents.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. So when it came to be their turn finally, right, for their yeah. for their trial run, they came to get us, and our foster parents literally said, don't bring them back. Whoa. Yeah, we don't want them. Don't bring them back. And my mom didn't know what to do because that's like, there's a lot of legalities when it comes to taking children legally. Y- yeah. <laughs> Kidnapping. There's a lot of laws regarding kids. She was beside herself. She was absolutely dumbfounded that these grown people just said that about
0: two children. I feel um, like that would definitely get
1: you off the foster list. Well, we ended up going back for a short period of time, I believe. Um, obviously, they did end up adopting us, but they couldn't just like, outright keep us from that moment on.
0: Yeah. There's paperwork, I mean, too. It's kidnapping. Yeah. What was being in the foster home like?
1: A lot of abuse neglect. There's a lot of physical abuse, sexual abuse.
0: How many foster children lived here?
1: Seven children in that house, could you believe it? In that in the home where these people said don't bring the kids back. There's seven kids all under the same circumstances. None of the children were their own. Wow. So, all in all, there was my brother and I, we had two sisters and then three other brothers.
0: And then you were adopted by your parents. Mm-hmm. And those are the only kids they ever had.
1: Yeah. Um they they hosted like I think 30 exchange so.
0: Before you and your brother? Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and
1: then with us, too. we they, they hosted exchange students while we were there, too. What was that like? Dude, awesome. Fucking yeah. sick. Like, if you can imagine being nine years old and there's, like, all of a sudden there's a 16-year-old Swedish kid in your house. <laughs> 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 or Japanese or fucking French kid in your house. Dude, it's awesome. That's cool. I loved it, yeah. Um, my parents were always really firm believers that they were never going to be able to cool. afford to take us around the world, so they wanted to bring the world to us. That's smart. It was great. I loved it. I wish that we could still do it. Dude, I might do it one day. It's just... Yeah, I mean, I think, it sounds think it's like a really a, cool program. Yeah.
0: It sounds like a really good idea. Mm-hmm. If you can't afford to go to the world, bring the world to you.
1: For real, yeah.
0: Do you think that the frequent presence of exchange students living with you had some effect on why the culture of the, that area didn't affect you as much?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Because you'd have these these kids from all literally all walks of life from nations, not even your own. And it, it just opens your mind to the world. And it's just, I, I feel like I was spared from living in an echo chamber that unfortunately a lot of people do live in. I'm thankful
0: for it. Absolutely. It sounds, it sounds really hard, but the end result was almost perfect. Yeah. So after foster home, Seven years old, you were adopted by your mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Was there a thought of, we'll go back or no?
1: It was just, it was really hard
0: to say. And I think that
1: I really was just like a go with the flow that it was going to be whatever it was going to be and that I didn't really try to focus on what was going to happen. It was Mm -hmm. just sort of like being present. Although it wasn't to the same extent of like, I'm so mindful, I'm going to be in the present and enjoy my life, blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, I was seven. I wasn't fucking yeah. thinking that. I just think that it was maybe some sort of defense mechanism or like, I just, it was, I was so used to it. It was my life. I, so it's just, but if you're going to ask me, you know, how long has it stuck with me? Forever. hasn't gone away. Everything that I experienced is, is still with me. I don't let it, you know, define who I am or how I lead my life, but you know, it's, it's a part of me, unfortunately.
0: Was there a shift in your school life when you were adopted into a stable home?
1: Yeah, I have parents who cared now. Yeah, dude, there was there was. I used to pee the bed, and there was times where I got sent to school, and like like obviously you have like underwear designed for you know people that pee the bed, so you like wear them at night, like nighttime.
0: So pull ups. Yeah,
1: pull ups. They'd make me wear that to school sometimes. Wow. Yeah, like I I remember really distinctly one time that I got sent to school in like a very large T shirt and pulled. That was my
0: outfit for the day. No pants. No pants. Do you remember what happened when you showed up to school like that? What did the teachers do?
1: I hid it. I hid it all day. The the thankfully the T shirt was big enough. I just well, sat like on my T shirt all day.
0: No one knows. And
1: it's I I don't even understand now that you bring that up how the school system never caught whiff of what was happening. I don't think I was ever like overt about what was going on. I obviously I never talked about it.
0: Right, you were you? a child.
1: Yeah, but I went I went under the radar for those four years. Me and my brother. So I wish I could tell you that being with my parents was like like a sigh of relief or breath of fresh air. But I just it was my life. I just I <laughs> yeah. obviously now I'm being very very appreciative and thankful, and I love my parents beyond words can describe my parents are, are my rocks they're they're my best friends they're they're my everything they're my world and i'm glad that i can appreciate that now but as a child it was just they sent me to psychology to a, like a child psychologist i mean obviously right you'd want your, your your children to talk about like what the hell just happened over like the course of you know your entire life
0: yeah. um, i
1: i barely told my psychologist anything i just don't think that you're aware
0: enough yeah i just think maybe it hadn't struck you yet. That's very early childhood.
1: And then I also have like, maybe it might be a little bit of a controversial opinion, but I don't think child psychology is like that beneficial. I mean, I'm sure there's instances where it has worked. Sure. But I've been there. And like as a kid, I don't think you really care or like can recognize fully like your emotions. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. I think that...
1: I might be callous and like biased due to the situation, but... I mean, I I don't think that, like, child psychology is, like, surefire.
0: I don't know if the child psychology works or doesn't work, but I do think that it is inevitable that all children are going to collect trauma on their way to adulthood. And as adults is when they're going to have to deal with that trauma. Yeah. Because that's when they can understand what the healing process looks like. Children can't understand the healing process. So maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't, but it definitely doesn't eliminate trauma. Your children mm-hmm. will have trauma, period. Do better. I mean, do, as, do the best you can, but your children are going to have trauma either way.
1: I don't but. care, do better.
0: <laughs> and do better. <laughs> and fuck yourself, do better. <laughs> so we get through this terrible early childhood with a happy ending. Walk me through high school.
1: I actually don't know what happened in high school. I used to be really really athletic as a kid. Uh my dad always told me I was incredibly gifted, especially in baseball. And I don't really think I appreciated playing sports as much as my dad appre- appreciated me playing sports. I just think that it was fun to play games with other kids. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
0: it's more about just it's hanging like the out. the camaraderie and the
1: hanging out, yeah. I don't think it was I don't think like at the ripe old age of 9 I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'm going to get a base hit." Like,
0: what would it be a pro athlete?
1: <laughs> yeah, like I wasn't thinking about what my I mean, RBI every, stats were.
0: <laughs> it's just, every it's, it's every dad from that generation's dream for their son to be a pro athlete. So I don't know why, but... I think a lot of parents sort of live
1: vicariously through their kids. Anyways, I digress. When I got to high school, I actually got really fat. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was like the crowd I hung out with. We were all a bunch of gamers. Um, I got my, my first laptop. And um, all I did was play games.
0: Here we go blaming the video games.
1: I wouldn't. I would blame myself for allowing myself to play that much video games. I wouldn't say that the video games are the reason for it. Yeah. I just think that I used it as an easy escape. I got really really fat. I stopped. I didn't take care of myself. I I was no longer athletic. I didn't. I didn't do anything. Um, at one point, I joined the marching band. I was never prolific at any sort of instrument, and I was never. That was my brother. My brother could. You could hand him and fucking one of those little. Uh, like, fucking.
0: Your hands are saying guitar, but surely that's not the word you're trying to find. It's
1: it's not. It's like a guitar, but it's like it's played upright. Don't say a fucking uh, viola, like, dude. I don't know like a cello. Nope, that one. A bass. I think it's like an like
0: an Asian instrument. You lost me. <laughs> <laughs> Completely lost
1: me, <laughs> dude. I. All right, it's time for a little Google search because it's gonna bother me.
0: So sophomore year. You joined band, marching band, sorry.
1: Yeah, it was band and marching.
0: And how was that?
1: Fun. I actually liked it a lot. Like I was saying, like, you could throw a, a loot at my brother. You'd be like, all right, this is what we're doing. And he'd fucking do, like, Freebird or some shit on it. And me, dude, I never touched an instrument in my life. And my best friend at the time, well, he's still my best friend, I shouldn't say at the time. But my best friend, he, he was a trumpet player. He's actually the whole reason why I wanted to join band. So I asked my parents if they could go give me a <laughs> trumpet so that I could play trumpet with him in band. And they came home with an alto saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so,
0: we know that you said you wanted a trumpet, but you're better than that. Here's yep. saxophone. So they
1: came up with an alto saxophone and I started playing. I was actually, I was pretty good. I ended up um, being second chair. So um, it was great, dude. Friday nights we'd go watch our football team lose and then we'd uh, <laughs> go to Applebee's. <laughs> so it was always, it was always a good time. I think I made a lot of friends in marching band.
0: So what was your favorite? Class in high school,
1: history for sure. Throughout every history class, I always paid attention to. Why? I don't know, man. I just think just learning about ourselves is just so fun to me. I don't know. I really don't know. It's just, i just one thing I've always wanted to pay attention to.
0: So let's talk about friendships and sure. when. So I, I'm a firm believer that we start forming lasting friendships in high school. So. What was your social clique like, your friendships like in high school?
1: I think I fell into a group of guys that um, wanted to see me grow, wanted to see me succeed. I think I surrounded myself with very good people, and I'm still very close friends with... My mom always told me that I had a pretty good ability to um, read people, and I think that holds true, just given that most of my friends I still talk to and yeah. have been nothing but a positive impact in my life. I never really did anything, like, bad. I mean, like, I I dabbled in some stuff like most kids do, but, I I mean, I wasn't out, like, partying and, like, being an asshole all the time. No, I mean, all they considered, like, we were were good kids.
0: So, you got out of high school, and that's where you went into the career that you're in now?
1: So, I waited a little bit. Um, I, I think that's when I really started focusing on myself. I actually sold my computer. That was how I would convince myself that I was going to lose the weight. And I don't know what it was, but something clicked inside my brain. I said, I don't want to be fat anymore. So, um, I just didn't. I stopped being fat. I sold my computer and then, um, it actually started with me walking around my neighborhood. So I had a backpack on and I just threw some weights that my dad had in the basement. I put those in the backpack too. And I'll just walk for miles. And that's, that's how I started that. I couldn't run down the block. That's how bad it was. Yeah. My legs seized up. After And we lived in, like, the middle of the street, so it wasn't even, like, a full street, like, a full block. It was half the block, and I, I ran down half the block, and my legs seized up. I couldn't do it. That just pushed me to do better and better and better. And, I mean, and now you know yeah. what I am today. So
0: Jake is very fit. <laughs> He's a good-looking fella. Thank that's you. A, I mean, that's incredible motiva- motivation coming from an 18-year-old
1: uh, yeah. straight out of high school. And I don't know what it was. like. Did I don't you think... have,
0: Did you have supportive friends or your family was supportive in this? Or... Oh,
1: absolutely. Through and through. Um, my mom wanted nothing more than for me to continue. And she would always compliment me and tell me what a great job I was doing. My friends were obviously really supportive. I mean, it sucked that I sold my computer, right? That was like right. one of the main ways that we bonded. But they understood. They empathized with my plight and they, they were supportive. And you know what was, what was cool was... I even developed a reputation around my neighborhood. Like, people would be out, you know, mowing the lawn or just doing stuff in their driveway, and they would see me, you know, walk past their house. And eventually, it did turn into running. I did eventually get pretty good at that. I assume. And so, whenever I would pass these people's houses, like, they would stop me, and I'd have conversations with them. They'd ask me why I was trying to lose weight and all this stuff. They'd ask me for my story. Um, I think that's actually when I started to become, like, kind of comfortable talking about myself was when these complete strangers, you know enthralled by the stuff that i was telling them and it was just you know me personally it was i didn't think that i was like special or anything i mean the, the whole topic is sonder right everybody is everybody is unique and so i mean i think that was just sort of a philosophy that i held was that you know if, if everyone's unique and everybody's different maybe we're not so unique and different you know like your story is i'm sure amazing but if i stopped in the street and told every person my story at you know maybe it's like a disservice to them because i'm sure that their story is just as
0: unique as mine I think we're all unique. And while that's what makes us special, few of us are actually special. There are people in the world that are special, but mostly due to circumstances. Let me ask you, first love.
1: <coughs> oh, dude.
0: Who were they and why did you love them?
1: I would say, I could give you like a cliche answer and say that my mom was probably my first
0: love. Boring. <laughs>
1: No, but seriously, my mom was the first person ever in my life to, you know, give me the time of day that made me feel like I really was truly an incredible individual, and she always did everything to make sure that I came first, no matter what it was, and that just, that just stuck with me. So, I mean, the cliche answer is my mom, 100% my mom, but, um, that's probably not what you're asking me, so I'm no. going to answer it how you want me to answer it. <laughs> Obviously, that's not what I'm asking. So that's cute, the but first...
0: Hi, mom, if you're listening. Like... <laughs>
1: I don't actually know if she's listened to any of these episodes. I'll have to ask her. But, so probably the girl I was dating in high school. I loved her. Um, and maybe it's a little bit of a twisted view on love. Because maybe you don't really fully know what love is at that age. Maybe you do. But it was very physical, our relationship. We were together for three sure. years, a long time. Um, and I just, I always wanted to be around her. Everything that I did, she did with me. I knew her family, she knew mine. Celebrated holidays together and... Uh, yeah, so I think that she was probably the first person that I loved. Maybe now I don't know that so much that it was love because since then I have felt love, and oh my god, is it powerful? It's it's beyond what I you know felt when I was a kid. Um, it's different
0: now, but see now you know more about love. Yeah, but when you knew only that, that was the first experience of love.
1: No. I found someone that, um, she's great. She, dude, every, every minute away from her feels like a lifetime, but like, it's, it's, it's so much more than anything like physical or emotionally. It's when you have someone in your life that is so willing to push you to be a better person that wants you to succeed. That's, that's an amazing feeling. And I I have found someone that, you know, that gives me that drive that one that makes me want to do better, to do better with them. Even. I um, I don't have to go into detail. Yeah, no, I'm just... She's great. She really is. Yeah,
0: hi. Also, I know your name, but if you're listening, hi. (laughs) Like... (laughs) No, dude, she just...
1: It's like like everything. She just...
0: Can't get any more brown.
1: It's... I don't know, dude. I just feel like when you're younger, you don't really take the time to appreciate a person for everything that they are. Right? You're like, oh, dude, my girlfriend's so hot. And just like... And that's like... That's to the extent of it, right? Like, you say that you love each other, but... Do you really know what that means? Do you know what it means to truly love someone? Exactly. Because that's like, that's, that's, love is kind of a burden. Love is like, you're dealing with your own life and all the problems that you have. And you're now agreeing to, you know, let somebody else into that. And now this person that you care about, their problems are suddenly yours because you love this person. It's, it's a burden. Love is not easy. So when you truly feel it, it's just, oh, it's, it's unlike anything. And you fall in love with, it's not about that they're hot or any of that. It's dude, just emotionally mentally, like you're, you're in love with like the way that they think, the way that they talk to you, just their presence. It's, dude, I don't know. It's profound. It's fucking profound. It's, if you've ever felt like, no, I'm being so serious right now. If you've ever felt true love, you're lucky. You're a lucky person.
0: Absolutely. I Because so,
1: I'm convinced at this point that there's people that'll go their whole life without ever experiencing true love. I'm glad that I have though.
0: Let's talk about friends. Um, yeah, dude. What do your friends mean to you?
1: Oh, dude, the world. I think that truly my friends are one of the biggest influencers that shaped me into the person that I am. I mean, just think about it. Like, all the stuff that you enjoy doing, like it's some form of fashion that stemmed from, from an earlier age, like, what were you, you and your friends doing? You know what I mean? The, the appreciation I have for stuff now is the stuff that I grew to appreciate and love with them. It's very much a part of who they are they're all a part of me. I love them,
0: too. What I do wonder, you think your friends would say about you?
1: I don't know, man. I mean, I know what they say to me, but i it's like one of those things where if you could go beyond surface level and, like, look inside someone's brain in, like, its most vulnerable state and just see pure, raw thought, what that would be about me, honestly, I just hope they think that I was a good man, that I've done right by them.
0: Due to the nature of our work and the climate of the world at present, Jake and I have decided not to discuss our current careers. Later in the future, we'll definitely do a deep take.
1: 100%, yeah.
0: But not not right now. We're just not at that place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we're going to move past career and straight to ambitions, personal questions, the real deep and juicy stuff. Jake, let me ask you. What lies do you tell yourself?
1: <laughs> Dude, I... I loved it when you asked me the first time, and I love the question now. <laughs> and I already told you, but there's something so... It's just ironic that you have to be honest to know what you lie to yourself about.
0: Yeah. It's a beautiful question. It's it's, it it's a, a subscriber question. question, actually, sent in to us. Which, by the way, if you want your question...
1: After two years... Yeah, whoever did, said
0: that... The MVP. Thank
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> After two years, still showing show love, like... Love it. Um, ugh, the biggest lie that I tell myself, <sighs> I had a pretty bewildering experience. Um, just such a self-identifying moment with myself. And it was, I think one of the biggest lies that I told myself was that like, that I was comfortable, that I was happy.
0: That's a huge and, one.
1: And I mean, I've, I've gotten better, but it, it really took me sitting down with myself and going over the facets of my life and really understanding where I struggle and it's okay to not be happy. I don't want like the message to be like like think that my point is vapid or you yeah. know, really somber because it's it's not. It's a beautiful beautiful thing to to recognize that type of stuff. But I think it sort of gave me a renewed purpose to try to find what in life made me happy. And it's good that I tell myself that I'm not comfortable because it takes me outside of that outside of because if, if you're comfortable you're probably not you're probably not doing stuff right. You know what I mean? You should you should want to strive to be outside your comfort zone and always do better. Um, if you're comfortable, fucking fantastic. I love that. Good for you. Yeah. Um, but I think those are the biggest lies that I told myself. And I'm working towards it every day.
0: Yeah, I've seen it. You are. Appreciate that. Speaking so, of working towards something, what's the best advice you've been given? And how, if even, did you use it?
1: My mom has always, God, my mom is so wise, dude. She just, she knows so much. My dad always says, um, been around the block a few times. My mom's been around that block, dude. You can see her footprints in the cement. She, um, my mom has so many mantras that she lives by. And it's so odd because it kind of applies to pretty much any situation you can put yourself in. But I think a big one that I've probably sort of lived by, uh, my mom always said, why put off till tomorrow what you can do today? I think that that has, um, especially when it comes to my work ethic, my day to day life. I I think I really do try to practice that as much as I can. Sure. So thanks again, mom. Oh, I was looking
0: out. MVP. Such a kiss ass. <laughs> you simp. <laughs> you uh, you read many books, Jake. I
1: used to. You know, my dad used to make me just read books through the summer when I wasn't in school. He used to. I think the most I ever read was like 105 books yeah. in one summer.
0: Jesus, that's a lot of books in three months. My,
1: my, but, I mean, it, dude, it sucked ass. It was so bad. I hated every second of it. But, I mean, my dad's heart was in a good place. Right. He he just wanted to make sure... My dad was never... He's not illiterate, but he never got past a certain level. He's always struggled with it, right? Which yeah. is kind of funny because his mom was a teacher. And he never wanted me to be like that. He wanted me to be um, brighter and more intelligent than than him, which I can appreciate. So, he made me read a lot so that I knew words. That's literally... I could, pr- I could pretty much quote him in that. I want you to know words.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he sat me down one day. He grabbed me by the shoulder. He said, son, words is hard.
0: Words uh, is hard, Words son. is
1: hard. I don't want you to know words. So he made me read a lot. I think I kind of lost the love for literature after going through that, though. Yeah. Because, I mean, that was sort of forced on me. Like I said, his heart was in a good place. But I think one of the most recent things that I've read is what the Buddha taught. And I mean that in and of itself is full of life advice and little anecdotes.
0: What's one part of that that stu- stuck with you?
1: I mean, I can't, I can't like give you a phrase. I can't quote the book. It's been a while. Sure. Um,
0: what did it mean to you?
1: A big like um, I would say overtone for some of the stuff that I was reading was to not let worry control your life because oh, it's so easy. So yeah, I think it was. Um, it's very easy to get consumed by that kind of stuff, that worry, that stress. Um, but it's kind of important to. And I said it before, but sort of live in the now. Appreciate what you have in the present. Like, just think about how far you've made it in your life now. You've been worried before. You've been stressed before. There's been times in your life where you've just been like, dude, I don't know if I can make it. But here you are. So whatever you got going on right now, whatever's got you worried or stressed, you'll make it. You have always made it. Another thing my mom used to say is, this too shall pass. I've told a bunch of people that too. Neck deep. Pain is never permanent.
0: (laughs) Just quote neck deep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Yeah. (laughs)
1: Play. it's okay to want to punch a wall it's okay to want to throw a tantrum fucking scream cuss it's okay if you want to do all that stuff just make sure that when you're done you come back
0: just come be back mad be done.
1: emotional cry whatever you gotta do just come back
0: if money and career were not factors what would your life look like
1: like i was just well off i just had all I want, everything i wanted
0: yeah if it was just like if career and money just weren't things but we could have everything we have now what would your life look like?
1: I don't didn't, Dude, that's a really good question. I always tell my parents that if I ever won the lottery, that all of us were moving to Montana and that I was building a house in Montana and I was going to build them a, a cabin behind my house with a front porch because my mom really loves porches for some reason. So I'd like to think that it might look a little bit something like that. I might be a fucking rancher, dude.
0: Hell yeah, brother. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, a really, that's, a, that's a really tough question. I'd probably be a lot less worried. Or I might be just as worried. I might just be worried about different things. It would be nice not to worry about money,
0: though. What does your morning routine look like?
1: Dude, I feel like you know, my morning part looks like every other American that has a job, right? Sondra, man. You're right. You're absolutely right. I'm It's the whole point of this. My morning looks like waking up at like 6.30, very reluctantly getting out of bed. And I suffer from insomnia pretty badly, so um, restful sleep is not usually something that i can attain when i do it's phenomenal i rinse my face brush my teeth i'll feed the dog usually i don't eat breakfast right away and i'm trying to be out the door by seven then i go to work on a on a like a saturday or sunday kind of looks like this dude i'll wake up (laughs) sort of uh just sort of keep to myself for a little bit drink some coffee eat breakfast take my time watch tv i might fall asleep again lie on the couch spend time with boomer
0: Relax. Speaking of coffee, if you could have coffee with one historical figure, who would it be and why?
1: Dude, Helen Keller, dude.
0: Helen Keller?
1: Yeah. just I really just want to know what she has to say, man. <laughs> Fine.
0: Fine.
1: Dude. I hate you. No one tell her. She wouldn't be able to hear this.
0: I think that's going to be our time. <clears throat> but to close this out... What are three movies you would recommend to our audience?
1: Three movies? Okay, here we go. Um, if you like really abstract things, like sort of like mind-boggling sort of thing, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, really fucking good. I, but I warn you, though, it's abstract. It's like, it's meant. The other one is called Big Fish. Big Fish, that, dude, I didn't realize the appreciation I had for my dad until I watched Big Fish. Dude, Pacific Rim, man robots beating up Great fucking movie. aliens. That <laughs> shit's good. Yeah. Great movie. <laughs> it's Thank yeah, you yeah. for
0: joining us on another episode of Let Me Ask You. We look forward to coming back from our hiatus, being fully engaged with the audience. Until next time, stay curious. Do we have a catchphrase? I don't We've we never had, had a catchphrase. Uh, so can you guys trill this out? No, we we'll keep it.